Good morning, Moncton Wesleyan. Happy Thanksgiving. My name is Nathan Adams. I'm the pastor of Outreach and Mission. Uh, right now, our senior pastor, Joel, and his wife, Tracy, are enjoying a little bit of much-deserved weekend rest uh, going around the Cobbett Trail. So I'm the one that gets to say, are you ready to study God's Word? Well, I hope you're ready to follow it, too. Can you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 19? We're going to look at verse 3, and you'll, you'll need your Bible this morning, uh, I think, to keep up with me. So if you're look, watching online or anything, open up your device, get a Bible, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Today, we're going to talk about marriage, singleness, and children. But for a change, we're going to focus on singleness. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That was a live question in Jesus' name. Some of the rabbis said, only if she commits adultery. Others said, hey man, if she can't make you a good supper, show her the door. Another one said, you know, it's okay if you find someone prettier. You know, God wants you to be happy. I think he's still around today. It was also very male-biased. The male had a much easier time divorcing than the wife getting divorced from the male. So Jesus responds in a way to this question that rises above that. And he says, haven't you read, verse 4 if you're with me, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. separate. We all know that the Bible says that we are basically half people, and we're searching for our soulmate who will complete who we are. Right? Wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. Plato said that. 400 years before Christ, the Greek philosopher Plato, in his book, The Symposium, said that here's how he figured it all started. Not in the Genesis account. He says, Zeus created some very powerful hermaphrodites. Two heads, two sets of arms, two sets of legs, two sets of... Anyway, and uh, what happened is he said, I think I overdid it. I think I made this self-reproducing human too powerful. So I'm going to divide that, each hermaphrodite, into a male and a female. And that's where we get the romantic notion that we're always seeking for our other half. Ew. <laughs> but Jesus said, no, no, no. One whole person and another whole person are going to become one. Now we can get this messed up. Because it's not an addition thing. Because an addition thing is one plus one equals two, right? But he's saying somehow one and one equals one. Well, that's multiplication. One times one equals one. Something exponential can happen in marriage. Something cool. However, if we come in and we've got Plato on the brain, not even knowing it was Plato, and we say, I am kind of miserable and I'm unhappy and I feel incomplete. But if I could just find another person who was also unhappy and miserable and incomplete, I think together we could be happy. That's bad math. 
0.5 times 0.5 is less. It's worse. <laughs> Do not raise your hand. Have you been there? <laughs> okay. The other thing that we do is we say, look, I know I'm incomplete, but if I can find someone who is strong and is complete in and of themselves, then we're going to be happy. Okay, what's the math on that one? Half times one equals half. All that happens is the relationship is a reflection of the weakest partner. And maybe you are the strong partner and you, for some reason, thought it was your mission to save somebody. I think that was Jesus' job. <laughs> anyway, you end up with a half. The math is one whole person comes together with one whole person to make one fantastic marriage. And that is the math. And if you find yourself having entered marriage with the wrong conceptions on your mind, wholeness, your wholeness, is what's going to change it. Not your spouse changing. You have to become whole. And that can happen through Jesus Christ. We've sing, sung songs this morning of, that he's enough, that he's at the center of it all. And when that happens, transformation happens in our lives and we become fulfilled. And if you're seeking to marry, if you're single today and you're seeking to marry, let me give you four indications that the person is a one. They love God and they follow him and they would follow him whether they were with you or not. Can they love you right? Not do they love you, but can they? Are they emotionally whole and healed? Has Jesus touched their hearts? Because we have all seen what happens when we have a broken heart and we try to give it to someone else. We end up failing. Would they love children if that was part of the equation? It tells a lot about their character. And will they be a strong and productive partner Church, don't settle for a project when God has a partner for you. Now, the Pharisees, though, they, they didn't care so much about the statement, the two becoming one. The one that freaked them out was when Jesus ended it saying, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So they come back and they say, okay, what, whoa, 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 verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You know, in the Bible at the start, God's almost doing damage control. It's a mess. And he just kind of keeps revealing his will and molding his people. But as Jesus comes along, he goes, guys, we're not doing damage control anymore. I want to tell you how God intends it to be. Now, acceptable reasons for divorce is a massive topic that really I shouldn't cover in any depth since we want to focus on singleness today. But on the other hand, a lot of you became single from divorce. So, <laughs> maybe we should look at it. Plus, I don't want to recruit anyone from marriage to singleness this morning. Not a goal. There are four reasons that I can find in the Bible for divorce. The first Jesus has mentioned, which is marital unfaithfulness and the Greek word clearly makes it apparent that it is sexual unfaithfulness. Porneia is the word. Uh, the second reason is mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, a great parallel passage to the one we're looking at today. He says that if a spouse abandons their partner, 
the marriage is over. I mean, you can still pretend you're married, but if they're gone and they're not coming back, the marriage is over. A third reason may be alluded to in Malachi 2.16, where it talks about a man doing violence to his wife, which would be the exact opposite of what Jesus said we're supposed to do, where a husband gives himself up for his wife and cares for her as his own body. The fourth reason is one that you maybe have never heard, but stay with me for a second. In the Old Testament, if you committed a crime, they didn't usually throw you in jail. They usually just stoned you. They, they saved a lot on incarceration costs. Um, and, you know, if your spouse was convicted of a crime, uh, you kind of got a combo deal. Their life was over and your marriage was over <laughs> all at once. And I don't really think that in this day, when we have more lenient punishments, that uh, a Christian would be beyond their rights to say, I'm divorcing my spouse because they become a criminal. I don't think the Bible gives an exhaustive list of reasons to get divorced. It gives a really short list. And because, that's because God's heart is so clear in Malachi 2.16. It says, I hate divorce. I hate what it does. I hate how it damages kids. I hate how it tears apart lives. This is not my desire. And so the Bible gives only illustrations of catastrophic damage done to a marriage for reasons to stop being married. And that is a far different mentality than where we ha- what we have in our culture today. Our culture today says marriage is for your personal fulfillment. And when you don't feel in love anymore, move on. But Jesus wants to elevate that this morning. He wants to raise it up. Now, what if you have been divorced here today And it was perhaps for insufficient reasons. Maybe it was even your fault. You did violate one of those four. Well, thankfully, we really do serve a God of grace. Sometimes people say Christians are judgmental because they have standards. But check this out. The world is judgmental because with the world, you're always okay until you cross a certain line and then they write you off. We don't write anyone off or any situation whatsoever. If a person is willing to confess that what they've done is wrong and repent, then the healing and blessing of the Lord can be restored on their lives. Guaranteed. So if you find yourself in that situation, that is the grace available for you, but yet you must recommit yourself to the high elevated status that Jesus gives to marriage. It's such a high standard that in verse 10, the disciples say, if that's the situation between a man and a woman, it's just better not to get married. They're kind of joking because in Jewish society at the time, it was unthinkable really to be not married. But Jesus said, hey, hey, no joke, guys. No joke. Singleness, in fact, is an awesome opportunity. Look at verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. We don't use that word, eunuchs. Um, In a church setting, just let me say that if you take your dog to the vet to be fixed, you could perhaps call him a eunuch. Okay? So Jesus is saying there's some people that are born without the ability to have normal sexual function. Perhaps that can happen in life. There's others that were made that way. Back in Jesus' time, if you were a king and you had a big harem... 
You needed a guard. So the best possible situation would be to make the guard a eunuch, unless you're the guard. But Jesus says, there's eunuchs that have been made that way. They've chosen to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And you imagine the disciples saying, oh, boy, that would be terrible. <laughs> Can you imagine who would do that? I mean, oh, Jesus, right. You're a 30-something-year-old virgin. You're doing what you're preaching to us. You have been wholly dedicating your life to the mission. You see, Jesus wasn't torn. He didn't have to run home at the end of the day to tuck the kids in bed. He could stay up all night and pray. He could work around the clock if he chose to, or he could invest his time with his closest associates, his disciples, and be mentoring them and entering into very close relationships with people, relationships that matter a lot. And so Jesus said, this is an option. In fact, he said, this is no joke being single. This is an elevated status. He said, it's only for those to whom it has been given, we just read. It's a gift. And Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 7, says the same thing. He says, but each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, like marriage, and another has that gift, as in singleness. Now, Jesus and Paul did assume that normal life would be marriage for people. We kind of need that to happen to keep on going as a society. But they said the exception to the rule is not a failure, it is a success. It is a beautiful thing. In 1 Corinthians 7.34, Paul made a very practical observation. He says, a married person's interests are divided between the family stuff and what they're doing for the Lord. But he said someone who's single is concerned only about the Lord's affairs. So what's better, married or single? I think it's situational a little bit. Can you imagine if uh, Eve said, you know, Adam, I think I'm being called to the single life. Where would we be? <laughs> Nowhere. When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, he said that there's a, he, was, he referred to this present crisis. And we don't know exactly what the crisis was, there's some evidence that there was a grain shortage in, in Corinth and perhaps not a great time to bring a new mouth into the world. And in that situation, he said, look, the priority is the kingdom. It's better in this situation to be single. And I think that there are situations and people's lives in which the highest calling of God on them would be to be single. The relative value of singleness versus marriage is something that Christians have messed up for 2,000 years in various uh, forms. In the New Testament, you can see that most pastors, for instance, were married. There's evidence, there's advice to them in 1 Timothy 3. They should be the husband of one wife. I guess not a bunch as well was the idea. Um, in the early church, there were some people that were single. And so here's what happened. In the uh, eastern half of the empire, the Roman Empire, the Mediterranean world, they spoke Greek. And in that part of the world, they said, hey, let the pastors or priests be married. But in the western part where they spoke Latin, they said, no, you know what would be great is if all the priests were single. And that was one of the causes that led the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church to separate around 1000 AD. And then in 1500, uh, a Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther got really disgusted with the priests 
and other monks who were uh, on a large scale being very hypocritical and not celibate in their singleness. And so he, to make a point, not because he was in love, but to make a point, married a nun. The monk married a nun. And that created a little bit of an uproar. And that and a bunch of other issues led the Protestant churches to separate from the Roman Catholic Church. We are one of those Protestant churches, if you go back down through the 500 years, that's sort of the family tree for us. And that family tree has always focused on the family. But we have focused on the family so much that we have elevated the family and put down singleness. And today, church, that needs to stop. Today, if you are a single person right here, Jesus Christ says to you, you are gifted, you are special, you are just like me. And I have an amazing purpose for your life. There's a lot of different kinds of singles. Did you know that you can be single in marriage? Let me give you an example. Let's say that your life destiny is to be married. Well, guess what? I hope you're single and celibate before marriage, following Jesus' commands. And you know what? At the end of the marriage, you will either be single when your spouse dies or you will leave your spouse single. Pretty important skill. Even within marriage, there are times of singleness. Someone who's serving overseas on an extended tour of duty. Some of the folks that have moved here from Africa, we've had one spouse staying at a job overseas and one coming here to start. That's an extended period of singleness within the marriage. And, as, and you know, we say these vows for better, for worse, for sickness and health, right? Well, what if your spouse is sick? What if all they can give you is a burden? Are you strong enough, you and God, and whole enough, you and God, to draw strength from God to care for your spouse? spouse? And what if the love has run dry and your spouse is emotionally distant? Can you stay at it for the long haul because you are connected to the love of Christ? Singleness within marriage or an effective singleness is an important skill. Another category is widows or widowers. Our district superintendent right now is Peter Moore. Before was H.C. Wilson for a year or two, just filling in. But the reason H.C. Wilson was filling in is because the previous district superintendent, uh, David Leroy and his wife Joanne, David had a terminal diagnosis for cancer. So he was only our superintendent for a few years. Then he got that cancer diagnosis. And after a few years, he passed away. It'll be a year ago. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's 13 months right now. It was last September that he passed away. I ran into his wife, Joanne. I said, Joanne, how are you doing? And she was incredible. She said, Nathan, when I closed the lid, I had to say, do I believe what he and I preached all these years? Is God enough? And she was able to say, Nathan, he is. He is. And so if you're 55 and older, I would like to invite you this Thursday to come to Super Seniors because Joanne Leroy will be our speaker, speaking about singleness after the marriage, after the death of a loved one, and even becoming a caregiver. This is going to be a very helpful and meaningful thing. I've already touched on the divorced. I just want you to know there's a group called Divorce Care if you need it. 
It's hosted by Hillside Church. And we send people to that and they send people to celebrate recovery. There are singles that have children. Now in Jesus' time, that wasn't much of a category. You would be, if you were pregnant, you were getting married. <laughs> or you'd give the baby away or something. So Jesus didn't directly address a situation that didn't really exist at the time. If he was here right now, though, talking to us, what would he say to single moms? I don't think he'd say, I told you so. I told you it's better if you have a partner in marriage. We kind of already have realized that it's really hard to raise a child by yourself. I don't think he'd say, I kind of judge you really hard. Now, we do have a judge. He really is, in the end, our judge, Jesus. But he's not going to judge us like all those other people who kind of look down on you because he can see that the people that were looking down on you probably did more things to deserve pregnancy than you did. I think what he would say to a single mom is something like this. I love the courage that you had to bring this life into the world. When I look at the ferocity and tenacity of your love for your children, I see a picture of how I feel about all my children. And my plan for your life is not ruined because I am the one who brings beauty out of ashes and my plans can be woven into your failures to make beautiful things. I have blessing in store for you and for your children. I am with you. I am for you. And if you need a husband, it says in Isaiah, I'm your husband. We want to be coming alongside single moms and dads. More for Moms on Tuesday morning is a great opportunity to have childcare for two hours and talk to other people and learn about Christ. We try to do practical things, but I want to encourage us to do more things individually to help single moms. Young adult singles. I think it's about time that we have a whole bunch of 20-something-year-old virgins who boldly follow a 30-year-old virgin and are not ashamed. In fact, they're proud. They're saying, let me tell you, being sexually impure is the easiest thing in the world and anyone can do it, so stop making fun of me because I chose celibacy. You know, we need some re-virgins. We need some people that say, you know what? I am going to follow Jesus. I believe this is possible. I believe it's essential. You know, if that can happen, guys, then things can really change in our culture. Sex is not central to human existence or identity. It has become so only as our culture has made sex an idol. Think about it. Jesus was the most fulfilled and complete human ever. He is the prototype for what a human should be. And he was a virgin. He never had that aspect of human experience because love is not a physical act. It is what God is flowing from him through us to others and connecting us to human beings. In fact, I think today... We've been robbed of proper connections with other human beings because every relationship has now potentially become sexualized. You may be an older single now, and you may think, well, this is it. I'm single. Well, you never know. I just talked to my friend who's 64. He got married last year, and he's, he's a father now. He's going to be a father now. 
How did that happen? Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> we don't know until it's all over whether we're going to be single for life or not. We just don't. But we need to stop looking at singleness like this unfortunate interlude between leaving home and finding a spouse. It is not an unfortunate interlude. It is something to be celebrated, particularly when it's been dedicated to God. How many of you have a relative, near or far, that is a nun? Can you raise your hand for a second? Does anyone have a relative that's a nun? That's a big deal to have a relative that's a nun. It's like you have something special, someone awesome. You feel like you've got extra prayer power in your family and everything. How many of you were educated by a nun? Can you raise your hand? You see, the Roman Catholic Church is doing far better than we are in honoring singleness. It's not a joke. It's an honor. And as we're talking here today... I want to, in a moment, invite someone up that has modeled that for us. Her name's Lisa DeGrace, so I'm just giving you a warning, Lisa. Don't come yet. Guys, the Apostle Paul was single, and it was probably only because he was single that he could have gone so far around the ancient world sharing Jesus. Um, There's a theologian named John Stott. I've read him extensively. He's amazing. This guy was single his whole life, although, you know, he didn't know he was going to be single. He thought he was going to get married when he was in his 20s, a relationship. He just sort of backed away from it at the last minute, didn't feel God's blessing. Same thing in the 30s. But then in his 40s, he realized, you know what? I can't travel the world. I can't give myself to research. And I can't mentor like 10 students at a time if if I'm married. And he said, this is a gift from God for my life. Well, Lisa DeGrace is a single woman that's part of our congregation. But you may not know her because she hardly ever comes to church. The reason is, is that Lisa DeGrace went to the Ukraine when she was a college student and came in, contract, in contact with street children in Ukraine. I don't think we have the equivalent of a Ukrainian street child in our society at this point, not in any large scale amount. The street children are treated like an untouchable. They're treated like trash. Their parents were addicts. They tend to be addicts. They live in sewers. They live in abandoned warehouses. They are full of disease. And they have very little hope. They are routinely picked up and trafficked sexually around the world. They are even picked up and an organ donor match is found for them on the black market and their life is taken. Lisa DeGrace ran into these children. And she's given her life to serving them. Can we put the picture up? This was in 2010. Uh, The occasion for getting these folks together was a funeral. A guy named Igor had passed away. 17 years old, his sister's in an orphanage, and uh, he had died of a drug and alcohol overdose in an abandoned building. Lisa was there to try to get his body so he wouldn't be put in a common grave. So these were his friends. Nadia, on the left, 
was 19, the one with the uh, arms crossed. She's still on the street today, though. She lives and works at a glass recycling center, which at least she has a job. But they, at that center, they sell the homeless and alcoholics a homebrew mixed with aviation fuel that kills them quickly. The older man, Uncle Vova, he was on the street, and these youth brought him in to get help, and he's finding help. Tanya, to the right, in the center. She's 18 years old in that picture. Her mom had died from alcohol abuse when she was 13. She's been on the street since then. She has HIV and tuberculosis. She was making a spiritual comeback due to Lisa's ministry, but one night she was raped, and it led to her complete nervous breakdown and then her death in 2015. But Lisa was there as she died, carrying her into the arms of the Lord. And she got her body so they wouldn't throw her in a common grave. Maxim, behind Tanya there, he's 22 years old there. He had come to church, but he had spent time in jail. And there in jail, he had contracted tuberculosis and HIV as well. As his life was ending from that disease, no ambulance would take him. They would not come for a street child. And when Lisa threatened them to come and threatened to call the police, they finally came and then the hospitals wouldn't take him. But she stood by him, got him into the hospital, and then thought, there's care for this kid. But as she watched, they gave him a needle and he passed away shortly thereafter. They euthanized that boy right in front of her. And he did end up buried in a common grave. As Lisa was telling me these stories, I just thought, what are you carrying? These kids. Igor, to the right of Maxim, 18 years old in the picture. Drug and alcohol abuse, but church on and off. He has serious illnesses. He begs at the city market. He's still alive. Ruslan, 18 years old in the picture. The guy in the back, second from the right. Uh, he is, has struggled from drug and alcohol abuse, but he has moved to another city. He's still alive. Nadja, to the right of Tanya, the one with the blonde hair to her shoulders. That was the girlfriend of the boy who had died, the funeral uh, that led us to this funeral picture. And Nadja died in 2013 in a fire as she ran into a building trying to pull homeless people out. But her life was a witness because her stepmother, her dad, her sisters have all come to Christ and continue to attend church. Dima is the guy at the front. He's 18 in that photo. His parents had died from alcohol and drug abuse, and he had also abused them. But Lisa says that Dima never gives up. Never. He keeps trying. If he falls, he repents, and he gets back up again. He's currently at a rehab center, and he's become a, even as he's doing his rehabilitation, he's become a leader. Lisa, are you here? Would you come forward? I don't see. Oh, there you are. Come on forward. 
Next picture, please. go to the next picture. Here she is more recently with a whole crew of new kids, younger kids, and she's a mom to them. She's a sister to them. She is family to them. And I can't think of anything more worthy of praise. And we're so glad that you're part of our church. God bless you. I decided to say that for Lisa because she's been so long speaking Russian that English is a second language for her now. <laughs> so I thought I'd spare her being, having to say all that herself. Well, guys, um, if you look at this scripture here that we were looking at, it ends not with the treatment on marriage or the treatment on uh, singleness. It ends with verse 13. Then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he prayed for them and he ministered to them. Man, um, it's hard to actually continue on <laughs> after uh, the story about Lisa. I didn't cry really while I said it because I cried four times as I reviewed the, the facts that she had sent to me. But guys, if there ever was a time in world history where we need people that will fight the darkness, it's now. This is it. Our marriages, if you are married, marriages need to be missionalized. Do you realize that marriage can become the most selfish institution in the world? You can turn in on a family circle, spend all your time on family events, and have nothing left to give to others without family and no way to share your gifts to build the kingdom. Marriages need to be missionalized. And singleness needs to be rescued from being so much less than what God intended it has to be rescued from sexual sin detours. And it needs to be put onto a high and exalted path. One where they get cheered on by the church. One where people don't go, hey, I've met someone you should meet. Singles don't like that. They don't ever want to be viewed as an incomplete project. They want to be viewed as powerful, wonderful human beings who have great gifts to give. And I challenge you, if you are single, to take that time and take that focus that you can give to God and find ministry that you can do and find relationships with others that you can pour into and to surround yourself with good people. You know, that's what Paul did. He always traveled with Timothy or with Silas or other people. Always had friends around. Always was investing in them. What we're going to do today is we're actually going to end with communion. And that's how we're going to respond to God's word. Singles today that I've talked to, because I've been married a long time, 
So I took quite a while to talk to singles. And they told me that loneliness is the hardest part. One guy that's a friend of mine said that he just stopped coming to church uh, so often because some mornings he'd wake up and he just couldn't take it because he knew that it would be a good church service and he knew that he could talk to his friends out in the atrium afterwards, but then he would watch as his friends paired off and left and then he went home alone and it killed him. But in communion church, we celebrate that we are not alone We celebrate that we are in a love relationship with God. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven apart from you? Psalm 16, 5 says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You fill me up. He can fix the loneliness of your heart today, whether you're single or whether you're lonely within marriage. And we also are not alone as we celebrate communion because we have one another. Jesus said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my mother, that's my father, that's my brother, that's my sister. They're family. I was talking to Mitch and Patty Short. They lead one of our small groups that is focused on integrating immigrants with others from here. And she said, in the cliche, we're like family. But it didn't feel like a cliche. Because it was real in her eyes and in her experience. We hang out together. We pray for one another. And you know what? There are singles and married in that group, and it doesn't matter. I want to challenge singles and marrieds to come together. If you're a married couple and you want to hang out with your friends, can you make sure that your friends aren't all just married couples? Could you say, Lord, lead me? And you know, it could work out really well for you. You know, Pat and Shannon Steves uh, have a friend, Arnell, and she's become such a friend, this young adult single, that she's like big sister Arnell or aunt Arnell. And you know what? That's a win-win. She gets family and family gets some help. (laughs) Think about you if you're an empty nester. What if you were to befriend a single parent? You miss your kids. They need help. Isn't that a great win-win? And singles, just stop being worried about being the odd person out. Because in Christ's kingdom, there is no odd person out. 